Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports car listener Q&A driven ramble fest. That being <laughs> brought to you by myself and the fine gentleman, the purveyor of daily sports carage, dailysportscar.com editor, also the man who speaks words silky often in laden with insights and intelligence through World Endurance Championship rounds, ELMS, Asian Le Mans series. You've heard of many places. Possibly enjoyed some of them. Can't vouch for that necessarily being the case here, though, uh, or myself. Uh, it, it's hot trash. It's an hour to an hour and a half of hot trash each week. Talking about sports cars, two Muppets who don't even deserve to just talk to themselves in the corner. But nonetheless, here we are. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, in torontomotorsports.com as my voice starts to break. How you doing, my brother Graham? I'm doing great, my friend. It's a beautiful evening here just to the south of London in the UK. Lots going on as I sit down to record this, just reading and expanding for something for DSC tomorrow on the good news we'll get to, I'm sure, in the show about another factory confirmed for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship this time for 2024, a story you've just broken on racer.com. Um I think it's fair to say, though, no matter how sunny the outlook is here, you, my friend, have had a very tough week. Yeah, went went into this in depth in my Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show uh, that went up here just a little while ago. But uh, cancer has returned uh, with my wife, uh, the breast cancer we've been fighting for almost three years now and thought we kind of sort of had under control like for those who know about cancer and the fight that often comes with it there's a couple stages and i'm going to go through this very swiftly if you want to hear more about it uh, you might listen to uh, the other show i mentioned but a couple stages learn about it you then provided it's a a worrisome form of cancer and uh, for what my wife has it is uh among the most aggressive um, I've, I've come across, uh, you go into chemotherapy and do what I refer to as the kill it stage. Uh, the chemo, the chemicals are nasty, nasty, big side effects, makes you feel sick and hurt. Just bones ache. You're in pain all the, it's just, it's nasty. Your hair falls out. You lose feeling in your fingers and toes. Like it ruins your insides all to kill this cancer. You're fortunate enough to have a form of cancer that can be killed. Uh, you'll get to a stage, could be a few months, could be a few years, where you will kill the cancer inside you and then move to another stage of chemotherapy. And that's what I just generally refer to as the uh, the maintenance side, the suppression side. It is a bomb waiting to go off, but once you have basically neutralize that bomb then you go into active safeguarding that's the second stage of chemo and that can last quite some time so we've been in that stage for a while now of knowing that this bomb could go off if we stop chemo if we stop doing all the things that Chabrell does to uh, fight it and defeat it uh, outside of chemo crazy amount of stuff that she does every day Graham um that's a stage we've been in. 
And so that's a positive thing. Hey, you were able to kill it. Not everyone's able to do that. And it kills them. So we have been fortunate to have graduated from the kill the cancer stage to keep it from going off again stage. Long haul, though, many years, many, many years of chemo required to keep doing that. And then you hopefully get to the final stage, which is at minimum five years of clear cancer screenings. Some say 10 years is really where you want to get before you could feel confident that it won't return, but those are the stages, uh, effectively three for what we've been in. And we've been in the second phase for a little while now. And yeah, with this revelation that came Monday morning, last couple weeks have been really busy with a lot of appointments, some of those being screenings and such, and then biopsies and all kinds of other unpleasant things. Got the word back uh, Monday morning that indeed we are back in the cancer fight. So uh, I'd be lying if I said, ah, just take it in stride, everything's good. It's, you know, been a kick to the crotch and, you know, bombshell type thing that we just weren't expecting. Everything was trending in a warm and positive direction, even though it's a long road we were on in that second phase to wind the clock back. Um, And so we're back in that fight. And yesterday was a really busy, hectic day of uh, changing schedules and coming straight in to restart the nasty kill it uh, phase over again. And uh, so that's what we're, what we're dealing with. That's where we're at. We're, you know, we're both now what, 48 hours in to this news. So we're, uh, we're not quite at the move past it. Everything's fine back in the groove. We're doing all the things we need to. I'm just sharing that this might not be the highest energy, laughiest, ha ha ist, uh, episode for me, not because I want it to be. It's just, uh, not exactly yeah. in my usual celebratory mode for talking about sports cars with my pal Graham. So we'll do my best, but that's where we're at. Um, appreciate all of you and what you do for us with sending in questions and giving us fun things to talk about. So, um, just want to make sure that we, uh, keep this motoring as we should Graham. So with all well, that said, we'll do, go ahead, we'll do that. We'll do that. But before we do, do, do that, I know I speak for absolutely everybody listening to this to say, just all our love and best wishes for what, you know, it's a, it's a, just a horrible, terrible time. Um, I've just got a tiny, tiny window on just what you guys have been through and what you're going to continue to go through. And I just want to say from my family to your family and from our wider sports car family, the fans and uh, everybody in this sport that I'm sure will listen to this and will hear about this. I'd just like the both of you to feel the love and to feel the hope that we've all got that there'll be better days ahead than this. Um, I, I'm out of words on this one, my friend. Well, that's kind of sort of two of us, but then again, the way we support our families and pay our bills is summoning words with our little flappity mouths or fingers <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I've got got about an hour and seven minutes 
And then we have a consult, a new consult we need to go to. Um, Okay. So would love for this to be a bit of a longer stretch, but that's what I got. So maybe uh, with you being the official selector of categories. Well, um, why don't we why don't we kick off then with IMSA and put the put the put the blame on me if you like on this one. Um, and I'll, by the way, make an apology to anybody listening that normally sends in questions via Facebook. My bad. I completely misread a message I got from Marshall and did not post a request for questions on on uh, Facebook this week. That will be back next week. My apologies, but we're, we're not short of questions. Let's kick off uh, this week then, MP, with Rekhaslam's Elms and Echo and chuck a few my way. I love the sound of that, although I think you said let's start with IMSA, but I am more than happy to move down and just read the questions. We're going to kick it off with first time. First time question submitter, I want to say thank you for uh, being brave and uh, deciding to have your name read aloud. Daniel Summersgill, he says, what do you know about Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus's continued participation in the WEC? Reports on a German website seem to indicate that their participation in 2022 is not as guaranteed as it depends on the availability of sponsorship and the number of cars he sells. Uh, Chris Alfby as well says, no, this isn't any expertise, uh, but opinions maybe on Glickenhaus choosing to lose a bunch of fans, uh, in one tweet and his responses to those tweets. Um, there, there's another one from Matthew license that uh, we can pick up after that regarding Glickenhaus, okay. but, uh, two main topics with, uh, our man, Jim to open this yeah. up. Jim is a unique character in motorsports um he is i would describe as a ballsy new yorker um is fond of an opinion and is not afraid of actually offering that opinion and not afraid of uh, telling people he's not really interested in your opinion of his opinion is a straight answer and you can choose whichever way you like on that one um but ultimately, whatever your opinion is of his opinion, he's not that really that interested in it. It's a straight answer. Let's deal with the Twitter one first. I got stuck into this one this morning. Um, first tweet we're talking about here was someone, I don't believe it was Jim that tweeted, by the way. I think it was possibly Jesse, possibly someone else on the team. His son. Putting out, yeah, yes, indeed, putting out a quote from Jim that was interpreted and completely misinterpreted by many as referencing sim racing. It wasn't. It was, I believe, to do with um, non-competing um, Uber hypercars for the road or for the track. What was the tweet? Uh, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but what was the tweet? Because I haven't seen it, so I'm, I'm assuming I'm some of our listeners it. might not have it. They they sh- might not have got it. So should you we just make it up? No, it's uh, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a struggle. And uh, while we're just talking here, I am just going to pick it up because, of course, oh, everything's changed on Twitter, so now we have to log in and blah, blah, blah. Jim Um, said, if you're a gamer, you're lamer than (laughs) Christophe Bouchou chasing someone with a hammer. Well, I'll tell you what, while I'm trying to find this tweet, um, let's uh, let's answer the other question, which is about uh, Glickenhaus next year. Every conversation I've had with Jim on this subject, and it's been more than one, um, has suggested that 
he has every intention of being back in 2022. Whether or not that depends on sponsorship or, or car sales, I couldn't tell you. It certainly wasn't the impression he gave me when I saw him at Monza. Uh, there, he was very positive about coming back. I think he's enjoyed the experience so far. Do I think we'll see Jim back with the current iteration of um, team as an absolute full season competitor? I think possibly not. I don't think that's ever been his intention. Um, but I think he would like to be able to sit down with the powers that be and uh, have that debate with them about what is it that he can do to persuade them that he adds value um, as the hypercar grid increases. But my expectation is we will see the Glickenhouses um, racing next year. Uh, that's as much as we can say. Uh, in terms of the, the kind of the supposition beyond that, well, there is an awful lot of hashtag wait and see. The tweet read, quote, the flag drops at real race courses where real race cars race each other in real races. Everything else is meaningless bullshit, Jim. Now, that read to me like someone else had, had actually um, written something he has been quoted as saying on his behalf. I can tell you, absolutely, it was not aimed at uh, sim racers. And I'll give you the benefit of my opinion on this one, which is <laughs> Jim, as I said, can be quite a divisive character on Twitter. The, the whole tone of the program has been quite divisive on Twitter um, and doesn't take any prisoners on that front. Um, no matter how glorious the name badge on the insert factory program is having a pop at this week, neither does he waste his time his words um, in dealing with those whose opinions differ. And yes, he will block you from Twitter. Uh, should he not like the response that he gets? You know what? That's completely up to him. Is it divisive? Is it helpful? <sighs> Make up your own mind. I think is the honest answer. I'll then get on to the sim, sim racing bit. Okay. It developed into a bit of a Twitter war overnight last night with a number of fairly high profile uh, sim racers involved in it, uh, all of whom seem to have taken up the battle on the basis that it was absolutely all about sim racing, which it fundamentally wasn't. But it became that way. And I'll say this much, which is, is it any better when a community, because that's what the, the sim racing uh, community w likes to be regarded as correctly, gangs up on an individual having not established firmly what the basis was of the comment in the first place? Is that any better than an ill-considered, they would think, uh, view on what they thought was about them? I'm not sure it is. I think here's, the, here's my message about um, Twitter and about Facebook and about social media in general. Can we not just get over ourselves a bit, all of us? Can we not just step back from everything has to be an argument and everything has to be, you know, aggressive because there's a whole lot of aggression out there at the moment. And it, you know, it, this, this business about everybody has to have an opinion about other people's opinion. I, I said it on Twitter this morning. It's exhausting. It's exhausting that, you know, everybody's in a position where they want to make other people apologize for things they've said or things they believe. Can we not just have a bit of live and let live about this stuff? It is after all, either racing and or sim racing and we're all sort of in the same family if someone doesn't like your part of the spot but i don't give i don't give a stuff if someone who likes formula one doesn't like my part of the sport i'll debate it with them i might even swap some music amusing anecdotes with them but i'm certainly not going to go down the hate road 
I think we've just all got to get over ourselves and move forward through this. There are real world problems out there. You've heard one today on the show. A lot of that is out there at the moment, now, particularly at the moment. And increasingly through this, this kind of bizarre period of history we're living through, there's a lot of mental health trauma out there right now. And I think we see some of the results of that in some of these exchanges. People have not got a particularly – they've not got a particularly good trigger guard right now. I think we just all need to just calm down a little bit. What are, what are Glick and House going to do? They're going to race up them on, and after that, they'll make a decision. I hope they sell a car or two. I don't know that they've actually confirmed uh, that they're close to that. They have certainly had conversations about that with other bodies. Uh, is Jim's intention that he comes back? Yes, it is. Uh, is that confirmed? No, it isn't. But then again, there's a whole lot of things that aren't confirmed about next year, including, for instance, when the Peugeot will first race. And... You know, it seems odd to me that the pe- there's a fair number of people are getting more excited about whether or not we see a Glickenhaus in 22 than when we see a Peugeot. Um, that's as much as I've got on that one, MP. Um, you, you said there's a there's a further question about uh, yeah. Jim and I'll, I'll throw that your way in just a sec. I'll add the the, the final bit I'm going to say about this one, which is put aside what any what he did say what people thought he might have said and what the responses thereafter were which for the most part not exclusively did go down the road of jim actually suggesting that there were cheaper ways into the reality of the sport um for people should they wish to take them which again i think underlines the fact it wasn't about sim racing to start with it just wasn't put all that to one side okay think for a moment about the behaviors that then emerged from the internet Put in mind here, you've got Jim and Jesse Glickenhaus, who at the moment will be in a maelstrom of activity before, let's not forget, they and their teams, which they are funding's first Le Mans 24 hours. I'm in contact with a number of teams getting prepared for um, that process. And I can tell you right now, the last day or two right now, are a furiously busy period, particularly with really bothersome paperwork i mean hundreds and hundreds of sheets of paperwork consider that that they're involved in that or coordinating that or maybe even physically doing that and then consider this forget the internet just imagine this is insert name of senior relatives sitting in your living room and over a period of i looking at the thousand or more responses that tweet got uh, over a period of the next six to 12 hours, just a repeated um, train of people coming in and effectively shouting at him on the Internet. At what point do you expect that you're going to get anything other than an angry response to that? This pile in um, kind of culture that that's, uh, that social media seems to have, this effectively shouting at the keyboard culture has got to stop. It's it's singularly unhealthy. It's singularly unhealthy. And it's one of the reasons why you do see people saying, I've left Facebook, I've left Twitter, it's trash, it's this, it's that. Don't be part of that problem. You can have a calm debate. You can ask the question, for instance, is that what you meant rather than making an immediate assumption and then have all your friends pile on top. And in some cases, let's be blunt, you actively encourage your friends to pile it on top. That shit's got to stop. Because that shit is just not required on Voyage at all. 
Uh, and that's as much as I've got to say about it. I, I don't excuse any uh, off-colour statements from Jim or anybody else. But he's entitled to his statements and his opinions in exactly the same way as anybody else is. What you don't have to do is to engage in an aggressive kind of um, knee-jerk response to, to that and give it further life than perhaps it's due. It's an opinion. We've all got one like the saying says, like they're holding our backsides. You know, it's it's let's move on. Let's enjoy what we take from the racing, whether or not that is in the real world with the Le Mans 24 hours or whether or not it's in the virtual world. And good luck to you all, guys. I'm delighted you found an outlet for your time, your interest and your talents. I genuinely am. Okay, it's not a matter of whether or not it floats my boat or not. It's I'm genuinely delighted you've got that. But as Marshall says, there are all sorts of different opinions about the validity of both opinion and indeed the activities we all follow. Some people see what Marshall and I do for a living as being entirely worthless. We happen to disagree with them. Okay, is that any different from the debate? (laughs) Is that any different from the debate? Let's move on. Yes, let's do that. Let's go to Matthew License. Jim Glickenhouse has been referencing a Pro-Am LMH class in his most recent posts. Is there a possibility of this happening next year? And will we be seeing more than two of his SCG 007s racing next year? Well, we've answered the the second part. We don't know. It's a straight answer. I think there's a whole lot that could happen with this seemingly rapidly increasing combined hypercar class okay um there were some potentially remarkable numbers from uh you know for the modern era coming through um the uh the, the the kind of the uh the stories that are beginning to emerge here um what do i think could happen here i think there will come a point particularly when the privateer sales of lmdh cars get underway in 23 and particularly 24 as the the immediate bow wave of factory teams starts to dissipate that there will need to be a decision made about the continental series like the european le mans series like uh the asian le mans series in um you know aco land uh, what what is the future there have they got teams that are ready willing and able to make that investment make that commitment and what do you do to differentiate between the wec and the lms in a world where perhaps you've got lmdh in both and perhaps the answer there is that you allow uh, privateer uh, um, hypercars in the european le mans series and or the asian le mans series and that maybe that that could involve some kind of pro-am uh, aspect to it. I happen to think that today there are more urgent priorities for the ACO to concentrate on. How, many, getting, how many LMHs do we have competing this year, Graham? Uh, we have five, sorry, five cars this year at Le Mans. Uh, if Peugeot come next year and Jim Glickenhaus brings both cars back, we have seven, maybe a customer car to come over and above that. Beyond Would that, you you've consider got, that to be enough? Oh, not for next year. To, next year, no well, chance. Would you, yeah, no chance. to split it pro, pro, pro am? I, I think just the, the. I think you're talking. You're talking twenty three, twenty four at the very earliest for that. At the very earliest for that, and I may be even beyond that. I think you know. Once we're talking here about high teens of, um, uh, of overall entries in a hypercar class, then you can start making those decisions. Ten four. 
Uh, let's see. Why don't we go to RF underscore SFC. Any news on Alpine? Yes, they won a Formula One race. Uh, yes, saw a certain indeed. French website say they are expecting them to announce at Le Mans week. I'm not sure. That that's our friends and colleagues at Endurance Info, Laurent Mercier and uh, his uh, his crew, David Bristol, etc. Fine, fine. They uh, are uh, very good at what they do. They are, They're, and uh, and you know, real sportsmen as well. Um, not sure they specifically said that, uh, but I think the biggest clue here is nobody's saying no. So, and there are certain parts, <laughs> certain parts of the kind of puzzle picture here that are not briefing at all. And if there was nothing by now, I think I'd have been told no. The last time I got uh, any positive steer on this one, there were informal presentations being made on the progress of the Alpine hypercar program with the uh, the A480, the X Rebellion R13. Would it be a surprise? It wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world because it's a, to be blunt, a sensible move to make at the moment from uh, from Renault with Peugeot coming on side and all the other brands that we know are on the way. Uh, it would be a very pleasant. Um, headline to be running at the 2021 uh, 24 hours of Le Mans for, for certain. Uh, well, I think we, we can say there'll be another uh, hypercar program, we hope, announced around the same time. And By Carlos. Un- oh, hold on, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, unending levels of positivity beyond that around the rest of the sport. Lots of other things still to come, including, and I'm sure it will come up later in the show, the future of the um, ACO rules GT class or classes. Um, but what do I expect? I can't tell you here and now that I've got a handle on that we are definitely going to hear that the Alpine brand, part of the Renault Nissan Empire, will definitely announce a commitment to LMH or LMDH. I can't tell you that. I think the signs are encouraging, and that's as much as I can really give you today. Uh, it would be, I think one of the final pieces in what is becoming a very, very impressive jigsaw. And as things start to move forward and we start to see things coming together on the privateer front, trust me, it's only going to get a lot more impressive uh, as we get through 23, 24, 25. I feel the need to share something that just popped into my head that does not fit anything we've been (laughs) speaking about. I recently had to look up some information about the hometown of Michael Shank, uh, IMSA Mm -hmm. DPI entrant. Um, While researching his hometown for a story, I learned that it also plays or has the honor of being the hometown of the world's most famous male pornographic star from the 1970s (laughs) and 80s. I just it popped into my head. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I should rephrase that, but um, that just came to I mind, think, Graham. That's how random my my mind is working right now. But I just felt I the to need say, to drop that in here. I have to say, Mike Shank is not a bad porno name, is it? <sighs> that's that's positive. Stephen Gates says <laughs> the admission of Gustavo Menezes from the SCG Lamar lineup down to the fact that he will more than likely be on the Peugeot PR duty that same week. Uh, His P2 driving teammates won't have the same problem, but at the biggest event for SCG, is it too much for Jim 
to uh to see gustavo maybe in peugeot mode so what's going on there uh, I, the genuine answer is I don't know. I've not spoken to Gus. I've not spoken to Jim about about that. Uh, we do know that there is a version of the uh, entry list that appears not to have been seen by many that has Gustavo on test day duty at the very least. Um, I think there's there's a, a factor to take into account this year with multiple drivers that we also need to understand, which is look, are we are we expecting there to be some driver-related dramas on the COVID front. We're not expecting it, but I think you can anticipate that it wouldn't be the world's, again, another one of the world's not most surprising uh, stories. So sensibly, a number of teams are going into potential damage limitation mode, and that's a sensible move, isn't it? Uh, As for Gus's um, absence from the race driver lineup, I genuinely don't know. It was made extremely clear uh, when they named the seven drivers, including Frank Mayer, um, to start with, who raced a course at Monza, that that would be a driver squad. Gustavo has raced the car. Um, he is not uh, part of the squad for the Le Mans 24 hours as things currently stand. I can tell you, uh, not in uh, hypercar, I am expecting multiple further driver changes in that entry list before we get to... Le Mans for the test day in what is it? Oh my God, a week and a half's time. Um, so, it, it, was it a surprise? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. He's clearly a very, very quick guy. And I can tell you, by the way, MP, a little bit of a plug here. Um, he uh, Gus has told me he will he will give us for a uh, um, specific exclusive podcast um, an extraordinary story about the Le Mans 24 hours. I hope I can get that in time for a special for Le Mans um, week. Uh, so you'll hear from Gustavo Menezes about an extraordinary Le Mans-related uh, story, which we've, we've, we've given part of the tale on the weekend sports cars before. But no, I have no insight to give you other than to say this matches exactly what Glickenhaus said to start with, which is it will be a driver squad and we'll make our decisions as we move through the year. Andy Thomas says, convergence question for either of you. Now that Peugeot have shown the world how radically an LMH can be styled, will any of the manufacturers committed to LMDH be worried that they've missed the trick, particularly now that Glickenhaus have demonstrated uh, it needn't be that costly either? It's a great question, isn't it? I mean, I think the answer is no, but it doesn't move away from the fact that it is a very good question. Why is it no? Because each of those manufacturers will have made their bids to their respective boards based on not just the upfront cost, but the program costs of those cars. And that is where I think they expect to see the biggest benefit. The biggest benefit of LMDH is there's no development disbenefit. They're developing a car that will be in the window instantly the performance window instantly. And therefore, there will only need to be very minor tweaks to keep it there, depending on what happens around a rule set and around the other competitors. Um, Inevitably, when you're an early adopter of a rule set, as Toyota and for that matter, Glickenhaus were, there's more chance that you will give an opportunity for those that follow to learn from the examples you've put on the table. I'm not going to say your mistakes, but can develop that concept. 
I think what we've seen with Peugeot, and I, I meant to write a story last week, mean, mean to write a story this week to do with their development process, is they've, they've pulled two things out the back. One is, of course, there's the visual treat that is the car and the surprise that is the lack of rear wing, certainly in its concept version and certainly to, at the start of the test program. Um, they've also had the opportunity to sit back a little and watch uh, as the GR uh, O10 program has uh, emerged. They've decided very firmly to go with an image-making car. That's why it's got the look. It's why, as you referred last week, show uh, MP, they've put a lot of effort into styling the interior of the car. They are looking to launch, with a bang, their Peugeot Sport brand back onto the marketplace with a range of road cars. This is a kind of a brand maker. It's a story maker for them. Uh, but what you've hit there, Andy, is LMH doesn't have to be expensive. Jim Glickenhouse has shown that. You know, at some point we'll get the numbers out of Jim to do that. Could you take the Glickenhouse chassis and reclothe that and repower that and make something that looks radically different but has effectively got the same spine? Absolutely, you could. Would that be more or less expensive than an LMDH? Pick your LMDH, I think, is what it comes down to. What we've got in a unique moment in motorsport history are is a single class with as wide a variety of options and opportunities as I can possibly imagine for manufacturers um, of all sorts of shapes and sizes. I mean, yes, there's the debate about IMSA and Glickenhaus. Put that to one side. We had that one last week. But uh, if it's not a come one, come all, it's as damn close as we're going to get in the modern arena. And whether or not that's been done by accident or by design, I think we have to celebrate right now the fact that there are going to be challenger brands out there right now that might well be looking at this and thinking, how much might that cost us? Because that does look very interesting. And am I counting out the fact that we might see a challenger brand uh, pop their head above the parapet? I'm really, really not. I think that is a distinct possibility that somebody may decide, you know what, there is going to be no better platform you know, on the world stage, in, certainly in sporting terms, than to be associating our brand, which we want to be taken seriously, uh, in competition with some of the biggest brands in the world. Lamborghini are coming, Ferrari are coming, you know, Peugeot and Toyota are there, Audi and Porsche, you know, and more. Uh, are coming so why would you not want to be part of that going out there competing with them and they hope beating them and to be able to do that with a hybrid a non-hybrid four-wheel drive not four-wheel drive you know a reasonably cheap custom chassis uh, or an lmph chassis um, i think that is a gift from the gods to anybody that is looking for the marketing opportunity that motorsport most certainly still offers them we've reached the end of the questions that a man whose name translates to fish killer in most languages, <laughs> Ryan Kish, has assembled for us. Are there any others from your WEC, uh, Azamelm's Echo World, you want to grab? I'll do a, a really quick uh, 
pick a mix here. J.M. Chandler says, given Peugeot 908's galore at Silverstone Classic last weekend, how close are we seeing LMP1 hybrids in historic racing? There were three Peugeot 908s competing um, at the Silverstone Classic, and uh, Francois Perodo and his newly acquired car won one of the two races. The Dyson Lola won the other one with a record lap in Classic Racing at Silverstone. Uh, a lap, by the way, that would have put that car ahead of all the LMP2 cars the last time the WEC uh, races at uh, Silverstone, albeit on a slightly different configuration of track. Um, the answer is less likely to see the hybrids. They are incredibly complex pieces of machinery. I do think we're getting close to seeing some more contemporary Audis, though. Um, there are moves uh, beginning to come forward. Would also add, by the way, that if you do like your historic racing of the more modern hue, do take a look at uh, the piece I put onto Delhi Sports Car yesterday, which is the grid for the endurance racing legends at the Le Mans 24 Hours a race on Thursday, another race on Saturday. The Saturday race is being live streamed free. Um, across the world, 45 minutes, 57 cars dominated by GT cars, five Aston Martin DBR9s, two ProDrive 550 Maranello uh, Ferraris, uh, three GT1 Vipers, uh, and the very first time around the full Le Mans course in a race, a Maserati MC12. Three Dallara Judds. Uh, there, Sean Lynn's just beautiful 2003 Bentley. Would you believe, MP, uh, between the ages of about uh, 1997 and about 2006, 7, 18 GT2 Porsches on that list, including some very well-known cars indeed. And lest I forget, Manu Collard, who starred at Silverstone last weekend in the factory Porsche that led the race in 1997 for seven hours before catching fire just outside the last two hours of the race, a potential Le Mans winning car. Uh, and including, by the way, uh, multiple previous uh, uh, races there and lots of class champions, including triple class champion Darren Turner, and double class champions uh, Manu Collard and Mike Newton. Mike in the car that he finished uh, as the LMP2 winner back in the day. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Don't think we're going to see the LMP1 hybrids in any kind of numbers anytime soon. They're just too complicated. But that marketplace, the kind of late 90s and particularly into the 21st century sports cars, is beginning to explode. And I think that's a brilliant thing. Amen. So a quick uh, Status Coco says, is it possible the hydrogen regulations 2024 could be postponed by a year or two? I think it's distinctly possible. I've not seen probable status. Um, you know, we know there have been all sorts of, uh, of issues in terms of development times and logistics, etc., etc. Not been told yet that that would be the case. I think even if it is, I expect that anything that's coming there from, and I'm, I'll say it again, I've said it before, on the weekend sports cars, it's going to be Hind Eye that are the, the main protagonists there. Um, I suspect we're going to see something from them. I think we might see a declaration from them sooner rather than later. Will it be as early as this year? Probably not. Uh, but I think they will want to make it clear that they are in the game for this one. Um, let's have a quick look. Uh, Statis also asked about the uh, BO penis for the hypercar class at Le Mans. We've just had that uh, for the test day at least. And the only change for the hypercars is for a reason we're yet to kind of dig out the maximum permitted energy for the 
Alpine has been cut back for the stint. So uh, I've got a couple of questions in with people that will be able to tell me the answer to that. As soon as we've got the answer, we'll pop them out uh, with either racer or daily sports car. And here's <laughs> Abdullah says, who do you think should replace Alan McNish in the WC booth when he gets too busy without his LMDH program? And why is it Oliver Cavan? <laughs> um, whenever. Al goes and does that other job. Uh, I'll be gutted. He's been an absolute pleasure uh, to stand and sit alongside uh, and talk about motorsport on and off air. Uh, it's you know, I, I like you. I mean, he cl- very clearly has got a very senior role indeed in that program. Uh, I sincerely hope we keep him in the WEC paddock uh, for that. Um, I'll say this much: uh, he he's, he was and still is one of my sporting heroes and the fact that I get to share airtime with him, um, it still blows me away, blows my son away completely, by the way. He, he, Al, Al most certainly is his sporting hero. As for Ollie, just, you know, we'll have to get rid of all the miniature furniture and get the kind of the bigger stuff again. So that's an investment that the WEC are going to have to make. But uh, Oliver Gavin doing the WEC TV Mm, it's a thought, isn't it? Watch this space. Who's going to remove the periscope Alan uses <laughs> to see up over the desk to try and see out the window at some tracks? Well, I mean, the, that's... the biggest problem we're going to have is we can't kind of hide the t- chocolate biscuits, the tonics, by sellotaping them to the... the, uh, the uh, hey, Rocky. Um, or was that Rosie? That was Rocky. He just jumped up. That's he wants Rocky. to be fed. I should have recognized the voice. Um, but uh, we can't actually, you know, uh, preserve the stocks of Tonic's caramel wafers by sellotaping to the ceiling anymore because obviously if it was Oliver Gavin, uh, he would be able to reach them. So that's not a good plan. Um, I think it's time to move on to a bit of Imseridge, don't you? Sure. We've got uh, 29 minutes before we okay. hit out the door. Right, so let's pull on through these. First one is from Chris Marks. Chris, long-time questioner, but uh, to my surprise, hi, MP, says, Chris is planning to go to his very first IMSA race at Laguna Seca. Really looking forward to the pit walk. Any suggestions for a first-timer to get the most out of the race day pit walk? If that's still a thing now, we're still sort of in the pandemic. I think they are bringing back pit walks, aren't they, this weekend? I think so, but... As someone whose county that he lives in is one of six in the Bay Area on Monday to go back to mask mandates, indoor mask mandates, and reading about uh, similar adjustments elsewhere throughout the country and world. Um, Chris, I hope that everything is as awesome as you hope it will be when you get to Laguna Seca in September for that IMSA race. I hope to be there with you as well. What I can't do is tell you whether such things will still be allowed or not. Nothing to do with the track or the series. It's just simply a state of COVID. So if we were to assume that everything would be awesome, I would say get to the top of pit lane which is uh, driver's left, um, that access point, the big gate there, uh, which is one of a couple where they allow fans onto the grid, get there to the top of pit lane and get there early so that you are among the first to head out and do that pit walk. There are a number of people that show up. 
There are a lot of people who show up in the middle entry point on pit lane and work their way there. Uh, would always recommend going top to bottom because, surprise, the most coveted cars tend to be towards the front of the field, the most popular and well-known ones, which is where folks gravitate towards. So the little hack would be get up close to them, to the closest entry point, that being the top, and hopefully be among the first people. It's not necessarily a line. It's just a gathering. But be there so that when they let people in, uh, you can get to some of those cars, take some of those photos, look around, have fun before they get flooded with people both behind you and also coming in from the other access points. Let's have a quick look. Uh, Rob Chalmers says, with the increasing amount of convergence between the WC and IMSA, do you think we'll see a return to one true Sebring? Can't see historic marks wanting to win the Pepsi Max of Sebrings when the genuine article is then going to be open to them. It's an interesting one, isn't it, MP, about how IMSA and WC calendars might evolve. We don't yet really have a clear steer on that. The doubleheader has been extremely successful, um, in the one time we've seen it, we've just not managed to get back there, unfortunately. Uh, but I can tell you the WEC are very keen indeed for that to happen. What, what, what do you think might be the future for that Sebring meeting? Know that convergence is the big topic in this question from Rob. Would just say that, Rob, the, the reason that we have gone from back in the day ALMS-type era where we could have a true combined type affair. Well, that happened obviously because all the classes aligned and that stopped happening as we've uh, had the modern super Sebring where we have the WEC and IMSA with conflicting classes. So instead of it being perfectly aligned where WEC can come over and race within an IMSA round and everything be awesome. There's been enough difference to where that hasn't really been something that they've demonstrated they want to do, right, Graham? So where I think we're going to end up here by within the next couple of years, specifically on the GT side, I think it should be more than possible if there's a desire for there to be a combined event. One race, true old school, 12-hour period, all the cars that came, that's what you're in. Could there be issues there, though, with car counts? Absolutely. Could there be too many? Yes. Um, I tend to, to lean towards if the WEC wants to continue racing in America, which I assume they would, for what we expect, Graham, both LMH and LMDH numbers in WEC uh, and where we think GT racing is going and LMP2 I think we might just have too many cars to combine and run together uh, with one functional pit lane. I know that there's the new pit lane put on the backside, the entry to the uh, Long Ullman Strait, uh, where the WEC uh, teams and, and whatnot have paddocked and, and raced out of. But I wonder if that might be a little bit too much to feel like, yeah, we're going to try and execute this and... Will that have advantages or disadvantages based on yellow timing and who can go and where? I mean, it seems like a lot. So my guess would be, even if in a couple of years' time, IMSA and WEC are matchy-matchy 
with identical classes. Granted, IMSA has an outlier with LMP3, but again, if in theory every WEC car would fall into having a, a matching counterpart to run against an IMSA, and there could be points awarded to both championships and whatever, whatever, I still think there might be a numbers problem. So it leads me to believe, and again, I don't know, this is my thought, that uh, that might be the problem. The f- other thing, Graham, which comes to mind, and maybe you can fill us in here a little bit unless if I'm forgetting something, is IMSA does this calendar shuffling throughout the year where at some events you get all of their classes. At other events, you do not. So across the five IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship classes, there are not an equal number of rounds contested by every class in a calendar year. Uh, got it. That has not been, so far, the WC's approach, such as, hey, when convergence happens, well, uh, we're going to obviously have LMH and LMDHs that are full-time WEC entrants going to, say, a Daytona or here or there. Um, we're going to count points for the WEC with you all racing at Daytona at an IMSA event uh, and then numerically try and balance out the calendar since the rest of the WEC cars might not be there since it's not an official WEC round. So just the difference here stylistically is WEC's been everywhere we go, you get all the same classes. It's an equal number of rounds for all classes throughout the season, period. IMSA, been very different. It'd be... It'd be strange for me to think, Ram, of WEC to adopt IMSA's thing and saying, sure, this class, go race in IMSA. Um, hey, go to Sebring for the 12-hour, and uh, our LMHs and LMDHs go for the overall win, and we're going to count that as a WEC round as well, just those mm-hmm. uh, those prototypes. That, that doesn't feel like who the WEC happens to be. It, it, it certainly hasn't been where we've been in the past has it i think there are there are i think there's options and depending on what budgets are looking like some of those options may or may not be more appealing uh, we've had the debate about what happens with imsa and indianapolis and you know what might or might not happen there i think there are still some surprises to come in terms of the way that this convergence process takes us maybe not right at the very beginning but as things start to evolve and hopefully some of the kind of working relationships kind of evolve too and mature, and we see beautiful things uh, emerging. Uh, let's move on. David Schutt uh, asks, with all the new and existing manufacturers joining LMDH Hypercar, why do you think, MP, that Mazda decided to end its involvement? Is it simply kind of the uh, uh, knock-on effect of COVID, or is there something else to it? From what I understand, COVID for sure, downturn in sales. I also believe that the long-expected, rumored, whatever, possible merger or buyout or something with Toyota uh, could be a factor as well of trying to clean up the uh, the various expenditures that are sporting but not necessarily mandatory to have on the books. I think there might be a little bit of, uh, of something to do with that. I think there's also a realization, though, that while they've been high-achieving in dpi i would say the biggest factor was by a wide margin lmdh is going to cost monies that are so far beyond our comfort level 
it's better to get out now than to stumble and underachieve by trying to do LMDH on a budget. Um, mm-hmm. Not saying that LMDH is going to be twice the cost or any of that, but it is definitely going to be more expensive, no question. So take a very small brand that has always played the role of the challenger, the spoiler, the the plucky underdog. Costs are about to get real enough in LMDH to where I think they'd be set up for failure from the outset if they really tried to compete with uh, the brands that are going in hardcore. Additional facet to close this question, Graham, is who have they partnered with, who have they been in DPI with? Multimatic. Well, uh, Multimatic has had numerous manufacturers, not just the Volkswagen group with their uh, the three brands that uh, Multimatic will be facilitating with uh, chassis builds and blah, 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 but... They've had multiple brands we've spoken about. We know Ford was interested, very interested. We know BMW was very interested. Uh, Despite the great relationship and success that Multimatic and Mazda have had, I think there's also a bit of a a reality check in that, okay, I mean, we, we could try and continue here, but at what level are you able to do this? And if we have the freaking Volkswagen group, a giant, the Blue Oval, a giant BMW, giant by comparison, I think there's also a realization that, yeah, uh, we better step back because we're not going to be able to come through with Multimatic in the way that the others could. So I think there's a lot of things, some that are just straight business, but also the bigger reality is, yeah, uh, this is not a place where Moss would be able to succeed, Graham, unless there was some sort of truly out-of-character commitment of money to go do this. And that's never been them. They've never been that we're going to spend wildly and crazily uh, because we have to win mid-Ohio or wherever yep. else. So uh, it's sad. Uh, end of an era, for sure. I mean, it's it's been quite some time since we have had a professional prototype uh, endurance race in North America without the sound of a farty turbo four-cylinder Mazda <laughs> or prior to that uh, four-rotor prototype. I mean, if we go to GT as well, triple rotors, I mean, it'll, what will we do? Go back to like 2003, maybe? With, 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 the, with the exception, they did half a season, didn't they, to prep for the handover. Um, was that three seasons ago now? This this period through COVID where they they didn't do a full season, did they, with the RT24P? Correct. They stopped halfway through 2017 uh, and redeveloped. Um, Yeah, but other other than that, I mean, that was all part of the plan. You're right. What a sad day that's going to be. And, you know, it's, I'm afraid, you're right. One of the costs is this bloody pandemic that we are still struggling our way through and out of MP. How long have we got? Because there's a couple of questions down in general that I, I think both of us would like to take one, five minutes. So right. tell me where we're going. I'll hit the marker. Okay. Uh, anything else in the IMSA um, there that you'd like to just uh, take as a grab back? I would, but uh, let's get to some other stuff. Um, there's a, 
plethora of questions, amongst them Phil, say Phil, Nikolai B, Ryan Terpstra, Daniel Summerskill, Right Turn Lover, um, Dodger962, Kenneth Bright, all around um, Spa 24 Hours and Serious Accidents at Radion. Uh, a couple of the guys, and, and Phil in particular, references um, the news. I don't know whether or not this reached you uh, in the US uh, about the tragic accident that happened in uh, Club National. Yes, indeed. And uh, we found out this morning that uh, the marshal unfortunately lost his life in that incident, Robert Foot Rob. And I have to tell you, when I read that news on the BBC website and saw the picture, my blood ran cold. I've met the man, and I've met the man more than once, um, not in motorsport, because he's one of my local councillors. And uh, not only that, I've bumped into him whilst having a walk up at Epsom Downs at the race course, because he's a keen um, RC um, air, aircraft flyer as well. So, uh, and by the way, I've appeared before his planning committee in objecting to the people building the house behind mine. Uh, I'm going to do something, going to ask something, which sort of feels corny, but it really isn't. I'd just like us to take a pause. This is a guy who stood at his post and had done for many years to to help us to have the sport and to keep everybody safe and he's gone and it wasn't his fault as so i'm just gonna just ask for a pause before we continue to remember rob foot and the orange army it's been a tough week mp in a million and one ways and that's another reason why um, we move on from that to talk about Radion. Now, I'll ask you, I don't know if you saw the incident that the guys are talking about here. I did. Uh, horrifying. Not the first horrifying shunt uh, we've seen at Radion. Um, in addition to which, clearly, uh, lots more efforts were being made by the race organisers of Spa 24 to deal with what's been a long-standing issue for the Spa 24 hours of track limits. And that led to a just a train of um, drive-through penalties. Before we get into that, by the way, congratulations to Iron Links and to Ferrari. An epic final stint from Alessandro Piergridi with an amazing pass on Dries van Ter, um, to take the win. Deservedly so. Uh, don't want to get into the race, but I, I, I wanted to ask you, MP, with, with the benefit of distance from this, your view on... What, if anything, needs to be done with that specific corner? Because it keeps coming back to the Eau Rouge Radion. Everybody, you know, uh, says this is one of the, the best, most challenging, most dramatic corners in world motorsport. But yet we still keep coming back to the fact that this is where we have repeated uh, very serious incidents. It has been a killer in the past. It most certainly has. Um, what? What? Where? Where are you on this? Split. This is one of the great corners of the complexes of the world. I don't want to see it dumbed down, slowed down, chicaned, uh, whatever else. So half of me says, leave it alone. The other half of me says, well, there is a comfort zone that enters the conversation when there is runoff room. Uh, talking specifically about 
getting through Rouge, cresting the hill on the left. There's uh, the, the fairly aggressive rumble strips. We see a lot of drivers push, go over or beyond those rumble strips. Car gets a little bit loose, spin, crash, ricochet on the other side. Cars collect them, etc. The one thought is, well, provide more runoff space. So if folks mm-hmm. go past where they're supposed to go, they have adequate tarmac or gravel, whatever the decision would be on push things back, carve into the earth and give more room. So a out of control driver can hopefully slow down, not spin back across a track, et cetera, et cetera, while trying to save it. I maybe go the opposite direction, push out, leave effectively no runoff, uh, make the left side uh, just pick the number. Is it one foot? Is it two feet? Is it a meter of, of distance between the left edge of the rumble strips and a and a wall? Like, okay, guess what? If you believe there's room to flirt and play and push too hard and get over to the left and possibly now cause a big problem for multiple cars, well, guess what? We're going to change that. So if you decide to push that hard, you have a very real possibility of smacking a very hard wall. Let's give you something to be afraid about. And I don't know if that's the accurate way to take this, but it's certainly what comes to mind. Hey, if if you feel that you can just push like mad and there's adequate space on the left side of the track, if you go over uh, the limits, well, cool. Let's put something really hard there that you have to contemplate and maybe pull back a little bit to ensure that you get through there cleanly. So uh, one of those two. Okay. Um, got a couple more questions about uh, Spa 24. Uh, well, let's have a quick look. Nicholas Kohut says, uh, lots of top GT3 teams making unforced errors during the Spa race, such as pit speed violations, not grounding the car properly during refueling. Is that due to limited staff and fatigue? Are the rules unclear? Is enforcement just much stricter? Sven, actually, uh, Sven uh, says, uh, hello, after a great weekend watching Spa 24, he wondered why that uh, sort of racing doesn't get much attention on Twisk. It's a question-driven podcast. Hopefully, his question finds way to both of you. We simply don't get that many questions on it. I know we don't have a standing um, uh, subject area for it, but we used to, and it simply didn't get that level of support. And I can tell you, in terms of the, the interest that I get through um, what I do with Delhi Sports Car, that's not that unusual. There are standout events like Bathurst, like Spa 24 that do get the interest, but there simply isn't as big a standing fan base for it as there were. As for the number of mistakes, I, I will, I'll say this. I, I've covered the Spa 24 hours from the very start of its its history as a GT race only in 2001 I was there in 2001. I've been for most of the years since wasn't there this year, had the option to go, didn't have the budget to do it to cover the race from home. Um, I think they've eased things off a little on the overregulation, but it still feels to me to be a little like 24 different sprint races. And I think it, it's lost something. It's not stopped the drama at the end. My God, we've had drama at the end of the race in the last uh, couple of years. 
the closest I could give to you is probably the Rolex 24 hours where the way that the, the field is managed, the way that the regulations kind of come together, you are looking for where the battles are going to be and staying on that lead lap. And we ended up with three cars out of 58 on the lead lap at the end of this one. Uh, it is it is fallen down my list of favourite races. I will tell you that much. Um, not all the way down, uh, but it's not in the top three, four, or five anymore. Um, it's not that I don't appreciate where you can get that um, that that you know that, uh, that that good racing out of that out of that uh, rule set. It's just that I don't think it necessarily encourages that to be race long it almost feels like you're getting into the rhythm of a developing battle and then they've got a pit because the driver hours are up or the stint length or whatever or whatever um i've said it before about the spa 24 in previous years i'd like to believe that their powers that be take a look at what's happening in the race not just the safety related concerns perfectly legitimate safety related concerns but the rest of it and take a look and talk to their partners, the teams, the drivers, and have a discussion about whether or not what we got was what was the best that we could have had. And if rules do need a nip, a tuck, and a change, they you could see that that happening. The one reason that I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't there is because I didn't get the opportunity to sit down with Stefan Rattel and think what you like about Stefan, and people have got a wide variety of views. He is not afraid of being asked questions about his choices to do with his racing. He's not afraid of giving you his point of view on why they've made those choices. And very often, those uh, answers make a whole lot of sense. Um, Interestingly, no announcement of their calendar so far. We believe that's going to come in a few weeks' time. They're trying to give themselves a bit of breathing room about Asia and about the IGTC. Um, But some, some tough choices to be made by SRO in terms of their intercontinental international uh, activities. There's a further question here, uh, MP. Yeah, no, I would just throw in on the on the why don't we cover SRO? You obviously mentioned we don't get many yeah. questions. We've actually had more questions asking why we don't cover it than we do actual <laughs> questions about SRO. Just sharing on the domestic front. Saw some photos that popped up on my Facebook uh, memories timeline or whatever yesterday that I'd taken, I think, 2016 Uh, Mm mid-Ohio, back when it was World Challenge, I believe, still World Challenge. And it was a real thing, like a real fan-centric thing, popular for however popular World Challenge was, but it was a real thing, excitement, and hey, they're big, serious GT3 cars going on here. We've got factories with Nissan. We've got, what, Bentleys. We've got uh, McLarens. We've got uh, Acuras and such. And whether it's full factory or, you know, customer-facilitated, like a real serious thing, they made a hard turn and willful decision to say, we're going to stop being about fans and ticket sales and all of those things we're going to stop trying to be a rival to imsa grand am lms whatever that we've been over the years and really just look inward and turn inward and so they've become a quote and i'm using a little bit air quotes here pro racing series that is about the entrance and drivers and crews not really about 
true fan engagement like they once were. So it doesn't surprise me that had we started this show back earlier in the last decade and World Challenge was still a thing, I would think we would be getting plenty of questions, yeah. at least on the North American portion. Um, but since it's become an SRO property and has been changed year by year by year, it's just dropped off the fan level radar by a massive amount. Therefore, I, I'm not surprised that it's not a common thing that comes up for discussion here. That's, again, just the North American side. I know that SROs in that formula I just mentioned has been in that place for a while in Europe, Graham, but at least here, uh, I don't know how much there is to talk about. Ooh. Um, last one on Spa is from Form 5411. There's got to be a story behind that uh, Twitter handle. Um, loves the podcast, he says, guys. Listen for a long time. Never submitted a question. You're welcome to do so this time. Says, during the Spa 24 hours, where was DSC editor? Right here is the answer. Um, was looking forward to my dulcet tones. And pit lane on boards, he said, showed uh, breaking the 50 limit. Why did these go unpunished? Over 24 hours, these can add up. Um, I've never been part of the core broadcast group for... Uh, Spa 24. I have done it previously when Radio Le Mans covered it back in the day and I've done a couple of the support races. I did the GT2 race, uh, the all Porsche race a couple of years ago with Toby Moody, but uh, but you know, perfectly happy to, to, to be asked is the straight answer. Um, as for the 50 plus thing, that's what it said on the dash. Bear in mind they will have other measures of um, measuring that and this, the other thing to say is You've got to catch them doing it is the other thing. So it's not a matter of what the um, the dash said. It's what was the car actually doing. It might not be accurate, remember. Uh, and it's also a matter of they've got to be uh, hauled over the coals and pulled for actually doing it. So you've got to catch them uh, for doing it. It's a long drive through for the Spa 24 hours. It's both pit lanes, remember, all the way down to Rouge before uh, you get to the go fast line there. Um, let's have a quick look. Can we, have we got time to take a couple of the fun questions to finish? We have one minute to go, my friend, and I'm trying in to which case, decline a in which case, call. No, in which case we won't. We'll call it, and you and I will have a conversation about what we're going to do prior to Le Mans week next week with, I would guess, a bit of a preview special. Um, we had a couple of bits of bad news this week, uh, principal amongst them, obviously what MP was telling us at the top of the show. Enjoy your lives, enjoy your racing, enjoy what's out there. Don't get tied up in the machinations of the internet and rousing arguments. Hold the ones you love close, hold them dear, because there's going to be bad days. Let's enjoy the good days while we've got them, uh, while the sun is still in the sky. With thanks to Cooper Tyres, with thanks to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com, and with precious thanks to Marshall Pruitt and to Chabral this week of all weeks you carry our love with you on the journey ahead both of you this has been the week in sports cars I've been Graham Goodwin he's been Marshall Pruitt and we will be back next week